Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we discuss some case studies from people in our lives and their experiences in monogamous relationships. We also discuss Esther Perel and boundaries, the idea of emotional infidelity and long-term bonding, and also a personal tale of living through a divorce as a young child and seeing your story as a positive tale of existence. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. So, Daniel and I are back. I was on retreat. Now I'm back. Still semi-hallucinating and uh, discombobulated, so we'll see how this episode goes. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're continuing on. We're doing this whole thing about relationships. We were talking pre-show pre in our pre-mic conversation. It's very interesting, you know, to consider all this stuff. We're learning a lot, so hopefully other people are thinking about stuff, too, and learning something, too. And something we all participate in in our lives, right? So the thing that we were promising to do was case studies in serial monogamy. Mm. we had done a series where we had talked about monogamy and the challenges of it and we want to do a little of that each time for the different things that we're talking about so uh for me as i've mentioned in previous episodes and then finally backing it up you know sometimes you say you're going to do something in these podcast things and it takes forever to actually do it but we're really doing it this idea of like i did talk i did my research <laughs> i talked to people who um uh are serial monogamy people <laughs> And I asked them about themselves and I had a one really very deep conversation that I wanted to try to share. And uh, so I seemed like for you too, for you too, Danny, we know people who've been through this. Yeah. We can talk a little bit about what we know and understand of different people's experiences and share our impressions and things. So anyway, so that's the deal to start off with for sure. And I think Eric, when, when you know, calling, saying somebody's a serial monogamist, that means that someone's always in a monog a, like a monogamous relationship consecutively whether that's broken and different partners but but back to back to back or that one seems to be the idea yeah or or would you consider that also like one lifelong one or or two lifelong ones or whatever that seems to be monogamy right mm -hmm. so it's it's very interesting that you bring up this question because one of the people i've thought about a lot with this when i really started thinking about these questions which was probably during the pandemic even I started thinking about this a lot for various reasons, which we'll talk about over the course of these episodes, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I have one person I know. She's not American. She's, you know, born in the Spanish-speaking world. Um, and I kind of, we were hanging out during the pandemic. And, you know, the pandemic was weird to hang out with people. You'd kind of go and you'd sit on a porch a certain distance apart, you know. Yeah. And we were talking about our lives and we know each other very well, Right. And at some point I said, well, you're kind of like a serial monogamous then. 
And we've never had a fight ever. But the next day she sent me a really nasty fucking text. Mm. <laughs> Just to think about using that phrase. But I wasn't using it in any pejorative way. You know, I, I wasn't taking a shot at her, obviously. I love her and care about her. She's a great person. And it was just more like, that's how her life just kind of wound up, you know? Mm. She had one partner that was like seven or eight years, and then that relationship ended, you know? And then she had another partner that lasted like another seven or eight years or something, and that relationship ended, and then she had a third one. And I was like, oh, so this is just the life that you're leading, right? Wound up to be this way, you know? Um, and, and maybe that like in a certain sense, I guess it upset her because she probably doesn't want that on some level mm. or doesn't want to think of herself that way or whatever that means to right. her. There was some I resistance. I don't know fully what it means. It hit her the wrong way, you know, but I didn't mean it to be anything negative. I was just like, oh, so that's how it turned out for you. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, so I mean, I sometimes sometimes yeah, we'll say, sometimes we say things to people and there is some amount of resonance in that particular thing that somebody has, you know, I think they've thought about it on a, on a lower level, you know, but maybe it hasn't risen to the level of cognition. And then you say it and it pings them. They're like, bing, you know, right. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. Wait, I didn't. Your existential guardian operating system kicking there in. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And it kicks in and, and it's uh sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow. Well, I think of the three made, I think of the multi, uh, 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 the different relationships she had, I think, you know, in some instances, she wasn't the one to end them. It was the other person. And in mm. some instances, it was her, mm -hmm. you know? So it wasn't always the situation where, you know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride or something was that old saying, you know? Right. Uh, it was some of those were her choices. And some of those, I think when she would look back, she would go like, well, you know, I love that person, but that wasn't right. Right. That wasn't probably something that was going to like endure past the time. We got to this place because we were talking about Wilhelm Reich in previous episodes. Yes. I think that like, yeah, probably for a lot of people, life is going to be like this. The minute you take, when you take the fetters off, right? And you don't make people stay in relationships anymore, right? If people have the option of leaving them, which mm -hmm. as we talked about, my mom's generation was impossible, but because our moms are different ages and your mom's generation was possible, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still, so, still a little bit taboo and, and, you know, culturally based for sure. You know, people who are more immigrant folk, I think it's, there's more pressure to keep them together. Actually back to like more traditional cultural yeah. models or something. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the pressure I think more is on the woman to stay with like a shitty dude, actually. It, it, I don't believe it to be the other way around. You know? Yeah. Historically, that's the thing. And I was doing a little research during the week once I got out of the, my retreat. I went back into G and T mode and, uh, and yeah, it's really the big change is like it's women who mostly say, okay, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. So apparently when you really look at it, the divorces and the, you know, the ending of these things is like, you know, shockingly from the woman's side in, you know, cis heterosexual monogamous relationships. It's mm -hmm. the woman who makes the call. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. you know? So, and I don't remember the percentages, but it's by a lot. You know, especially if the women are financially independent. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. So like basically I was listening to some British sociologist guy. I'm not, and I should go back and get his whole resume on this thing. Uh, but anyways, I just listened to him a little bit and he was like, yeah, if you look at, and we're going to talk about this a little bit even later on, but when you look at the change, it's a huge change because, you know, the, this whole thing was built on the idea that women were going to be financially dependent on men. Right. Right. That was the whole thing. And that was my, even up to my mom's generation. And that's not that long ago. Right. 
You know, you had to like be totally financially dependent. So the minute you get the idea that women are no longer financially dependent, and apparently now when you look at like higher education, it's like dominated now by women. Yeah. You know, so there's more women educating themselves, more women building like probably more established careers, you know, wonderful, right? And uh, more autonomy. And that means that it's different. The whole thing's just changed. It's kind of amazing, actually. Mm -hmm. think, right? Yeah. Um, well, anyway, so I don't know. I, I, I'll i be interested to hear what you think about your conversations with people about this. Yeah. Um, I was talking to, again, a number of people. And one person was talking about kind of his Taoist friend who does seem like this is just his pattern. And he self-identifies as a Taoist. And he just goes from like relationship to relationship, right? And uh, that seems to be his thing, right? So he seems to fall kind of easily into these very kind of deep relationships and then they end and he moves on. So it did occur to me a little bit about like learning to deal with things like impermanence, you know, mm -hmm. spiritual point of view. I was like, oh, there's something there. And I could see how someone who maybe is kind of deeply Asian spiritual in a certain way you know, could do something like that or that would they could they could relate to that in that way you know you know things don't last forever they have an impermanent quality right true true but the biggest thing i had was i had this really long conversation with like someone who does self-identify so i thought i have to reach out to this guy because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like the way it is with uh you know uh this lady that i know it was really him going oh yeah this is who i am this seems to be like the rhythm of my life. Did he intend it to be that way? Maybe no, but he's kind of a self-acknowledgement of like, this is who I am. So he's a guy kind of from my previous world, my pre-Asian spirituality world. But I reached back out to him and I was like, hey, can I talk to you about this for this podcast? And it, he was cool with it. And we had a pretty deep conversation. Like I'd say, you know, one of those shockingly meaningful conversations that you sometimes have with people, you know, yeah. you know, we we connected on like 10 o'clock on the Thursday night and um, I, you know, I had to work the next morning or anything, but we talked until pretty late into the night just because once it started going, it was like, you know, a pretty deep thing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I said, are you cool with me talking about your life? <laughs> and he said, yeah, you know, you're not, no one's going to know it's me. And I was like, yeah, no one's going to know it's you. But I thought I would find out like, especially with the idea of like, um, you know, what did he felt what did he feel like he learned from this and what were the aspects of his personality that like made this work for him or made this good for him or fit him in some ways it was kind of an interesting conversation right mm -mm. so i would describe him as pretty much a generally happy person you know he did say that he goes and he does go to do some psychotherapy things like a lot of people do but he certainly doesn't have any things with depression or any major way or anything like that. It seems like more he goes to like talk to his life. I didn't know that actually, but he explained that to me as we were kind of talking about things. And I think what happened was he realized as his relationships kind of showed a similar pattern to the, to my other friend I was talking about. Okay. He would meet with people for a certain amount of time and then it would just end and like really like divorces. So, um, you know, it would be this and then a divorce and then the divorce would drag for however long it dragged and then, you know, whatever. He'd be with the next person. You know, a lot of times before the divorce was even over, he's with, with a new person, right? Mm -hmm. And he kind of jokes about it. And he's funny. He has a good sense of humor, you know, obviously. And yeah. uh, uh, well, not obviously because you don't know him, <laughs> but he does have a good sense of humor. And so he kind of said like, well, there's a timer. 
he's kind of said like it's five years good <laughs> then two years kind of eh. and then three years kind of shitty as you try to get out <laughs> just kind of like that's how it looks mm. and i was like okay you know and he just kind of realized like that's just seems to be the rhythm of how his life is you know and then he kind of just um you know seems to immediately move on to whoever uh, is going to be his next partner, you know? And so I said, well, okay, well, what's the hows and whys of this <laughs> from your point of view? And he said, well, he said, I'm generally an optimistic personality. <laughs> and so I think he goes in with an optimistic attitude, right? Feeling like uh, it should be, um, you know, a good sense of a good set of experiences. It should be something that should work. He doesn't go in, I think, with the idea that it's not going to work. I think like in the long term, I think he goes with the idea like, okay, I'll go and I'll try, you know? So he goes in, I guess, with sort of an open, optimistic attitude, right? Um, And then he said, and this was pretty interesting, and he had never talked about this part of his life before, which was interesting. So he said, he has this ability to forgive and forget very quickly, mm. right? So there's a way in which he seems to develop this thing. Like he doesn't carry bitterness from the previous relationships. He doesn't seem to do that, mm. you know? And he says, you know, I let the things go. And he even said like, there's some odd ways in which he says he even has sort of like a short memory about stuff, you know? So things kind of like literally seem to disappear from his mind. He doesn't carry the negative aspects of things with him. He lets them go. He's like a goldfish. Uh, I guess I guess so. <laughs> but like I suppose in terms of like psychological health. <laughs> if you wrote a book, you can call it the goldfish approach. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, he said even like going through uh the more the most recent of his divorces, his new partner was having to remind him, like, this lady did this shitty thing to you here and there. And he was like, Oh yeah, I guess you're right. But he was already kind of like moving on for him. You know, he's very like uh, I guess in that sense, forward directed and kind of very tolerant of people you know and then he was saying that he's literally been in relationships with people who end up like having like legit psych diagnoses that they don't have like serious things but he has a relatively tolerant personality and he just said yeah you know people are like that and he kind of accepts people so i i guess it would be like a kind of a combination of an optimism an openness to experience i guess you'd say and i'll see where this goes you know um, a kind of a lack of like bitterness in his personality. Mm. And um, uh, it goes along with the ability, I guess, to let go, right? And a kind of a tolerance were the things that I guess he felt like he either had or developed, probably had some combination and developed along the way. He did say he kind of questions it a little bit. He sometimes, especially this idea of being so open and accepting of people, sometimes he looks and says, well, maybe I do this too much, you know, and I should have more of a filter. Hmm. but um, he didn't seem that serious about developing it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's, he's a happy person. So, uh, but what really happened is he went into his backstory and it's going to be kind of interesting because eventually we're going to do our Carl Jung episodes and the Carl Jung episodes will be more about like polyamory. But he told me this backstory that he had never told me before, that he had this little history in polyamory like a long time ago when he was younger. Hmm. And he said it really affected him pretty deeply, which I didn't know anything about. So he went through this set of experiences. I think in the end, he decided it wasn't for him. But what he really felt was it made him look at a lot of, and I, I'm paraphrasing his words, doing the best I can. But what I think the way it sounded to me in the end was it made him look at like aspects of his personality 
and I think in a certain sense, especially around things like jealousy, mm. he felt like he kind of got over that. Mm. And so he felt like, which probably would make it easier for him to move on or something, you know? Like, so I guess you'd say maybe if we were doing like, a, you know, a, a tantric Dao, tantric Buddhist philosophy, Taoist Zen philosophy, that he developed sort of a more flexible sense of attachment or something, right? Right. Yeah, I was just going to say jealousy has a very strong feeling of attachment with it, right? Yeah. And so then having the ability to work through that would would allow you to let to move more easily between not just partners, but also issues, arguments, thoughts, ideas yeah. that are probably detrimental, you know? Yeah. So it looks like that set of emotions, right? And then we had the conversation because there's, we'll get to it. You know, we're, we're going through this subject really deep. It's an interesting one, right? And something mm -hmm. I think we all can relate to because we're all going to wrestle with our relationships in our own ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's no doubt that like jealousy is like in, uh, you know, uh, Buddhist parlance, right? Like what they call a klesha, right? It's a mm -hmm. negative emotion. It's not good, you know? It's weird in American culture. We have people who are listening from other places. They can give us their feedback too. But certainly in American culture, sometimes jealousy is considered to be like, okay, Sometimes people say jealousy is even kind of good, but from the Buddhist world, this is a negative emotion. It's bad. It's a klesha, right? And you could really tell. I mean, I don't know. I I, list, I watch these BBC mystery things and how many people kill somebody in the mystery out of jealousy happens every other fucking episode. <laughs> it's a thing of jealousy, right? So there's no doubt in the Buddhist world, this is a klesha. And it was funny during my retreat, Daniel, I was doing you know, in the Tibetan world, you retreat and then you study a little bit too. So I was looking back through some of the things that were, you know, works that were important, especially about the practice I was doing during my retreat. So I was gone for like eight days, you know, solo retreat. And um, they have parts about like, how do you choose partners for spiritual relationships? And they, the first thing it said is that the person can't be jealous. It was the first thing they said. Mm. And I was thinking, oh, that's interesting, you know, because I had had this conversation with this friend of mine and he had made such a big deal about this too, you know, that the jealous they think he got over it in many ways, right? Even though he didn't want to continue on and be some poly person. He thought, well, that's not quite right, right for me either, you know, but uh, yeah, I guess this really changed his jealousy feelings. I think when he talked about why, it, and again, I'm, I'm slightly putting words in his mouth, but I think this is correct. You know, I think he said it wasn't for him even though this was a formative part of his life, I think because there was certain a sense of like insecurity more or something like that, mm. that I guess he wouldn't maybe say is a jealousy. And I felt like I understood what he was saying. You know, it wasn't so much at a certain point that, you know, kind of being face to face with like sharing a relationship, sharing a partner or something, he kind of got over that, but he felt maybe some sense of insecurity. And I was like, okay, I understand what you're talking about. There's some distinction there, right? Mm -hmm. And I know, like, uh, you know, I'll I'll probably talk about that more from my own perspective later on. I'm kind of saving my own thoughts on some of this stuff because I'm sure. trying to show, share what other people say. So that was kind of interesting. So that seemed like that was like a big chunk of his experience, you know. And I thought, well, that's something that's maybe kind of valuable to pass on, you know. Sure. That he like seemed to like, he definitely seemed to learn, right? And he seemed to develop like a confront parts of himself that ultimately he decided uh, maybe weren't that good, right? And he learned about himself and it seemed to create kind of a set of tools that allowed him to, you know, move on, right? So I thought that's a cool story. The last thing we talked about was this idea of like, 
and we're going to do a little more Esther Perel. <laughs> Daniel basically said, whenever you mention Esther Perel, people love it. <laughs> so I'm like, I get some Esther Perel. <laughs> Everyone loves Esther Perel. So I was like, okay, I, I, I listened to a Lester Perel that I'll share on this, but it like really got to the idea of like, also what are the boundaries around, uh, you know, what are infidelity and, you know, what people consider to be where their cutoffs are, you know? So I'll share a little bit Esther Perel and a little bit about it, but he brought this question up, you know, a little bit too of like what constitutes like emotional infidelity or something like that. And what do people think of even that concept? But he started talking about that and he said something really interesting. He said, well, okay, I'm not poly, but he did say, and this was again, kind of fascinating for me because I didn't know this about him, but he said something like, you know, he has a primary partner now, but he says he has this very close relationship with this one other lady. And he did say like, he doesn't talk with his partner exactly about it, you know? It's something that's more of a private relationship that he doesn't really entirely share. And he said, it's kind of a weird set of feelings, but at the same time, he sort of felt like she has something really similar too, with like an old coworker. Mm. And they almost seem to have like an agreement of like, like when this guy uh, calls his partner now, he's a cis heterosexual male, right? And so he's with this lady. And then when a lot of times when he calls, she goes in the other room and talks. Like she goes to some private place because they obviously they have their own private, whatever their relationship is, he's not entirely privy to it, you know? And um, so he says, you know, he doesn't talk with about it as partner now. Uh, and he said, it was interesting. He said, he felt like on some level, if he really were to talk to her about, it, you know, he loves her very much, but he felt like if he really talked about this intense relationship he has emotionally, there's nothing physical going on but he has this very intense emotional relationship with this other person. He he said, he's sort of afraid that she wouldn't understand, you know? And then, you know, he felt like probably she probably has this something like that in her own life and he doesn't press on it. to like invade that part of her space. Right. And then he doesn't share this part of his space either. And he kind of said, it's kind of a weird set of feelings. It's, it's, it's not something he feels totally clear about what he thinks it means, but he's also kind of okay with it, you know? And he just said, well, you know, I have this really intense emotional connection with this person. They feel it back. Uh, she, not his primary partner, but this other lady, she has sort of her emotional issues. He helps out with that. They okay. have like this very deep bond, but in a way that I think if he had to explain and really share all of that would feel very threatening maybe, right? you know? And so, so he's, he, again, he's thinking about these questions, I guess, in his own way, right? And so I guess in the end, he said, you know, he's gone through his life and uh, he's obviously doing the best he can <laughs> and he's learning along the way. And he's like, I guess, trying to be as emotionally uh, authentic and honest as person as, as he can, but there's parts of his life where he goes like, okay, you know, maybe there's this part of this that just has to be private. Right. So anyway, so that was, that was the conclusion of my interview. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, well... For uh, for lack of, mm, well, it's interesting to say that. Right? So yeah, I think like, what I got in the end was like, okay, when you really talk with people, when you get past like the veneer of things, right? What people show to the world, right? And as you would like to point it out from our very first episodes, we live in a very kind of like Instagram, Facebook kind of a world, right? 
where people are constantly projecting these facades of who they are, right? Like all the time. When you really like talk to people more deeply, you start to realize, okay, you know, this is real honest conversation. And obviously it's not a simple thing, right? And um, I guess that was one of the drives for me in doing these episodes was, okay, let's talk as honestly as we can. Yeah, I mean, right? as, as you know, people, if so if we're referencing like people who are, in, you know, serial monogamous, right? These are people who are going to, and at least from from your you know your friend in this case scenario, he's had numerous long term relationships in his adult life. We well, need a lot of people like that too. Right? I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but, so this is like this is a pattern of living. We both agree. Yeah, right? we, totally. That would have been impossible in my mom's age. And anyways, I'm just saying it's like a new way of living. Yeah, yeah. But then, so those people, so there's going to be some. The most intense relationships are going to come and go. And, and hopefully in a healthy way, right? So we could say we could say, okay, hopefully they come and go, and there's not lingering effects and whatnot. Which is what this guy did that was kind of amazing, right? Yeah, I've learned how to do this without carrying like bitterness and resentment on. Right. But then, where are or what are the long-standing relationships that are actually going to stay, right? And so I think what you're talking about that he has, and maybe his partner has. Are these sort of long-term relation, you know, quote unquote, long-term relationships, long-term bonding um, experiments, if you will, that are very deep because they have actually been there through multiple relationships. And so it, it goes to show that like one's ability to love someone else is not limited by another relationship, right? Yeah. And so we, as a society, make this line of demarcation like oh it's only emotional it's not physical yeah but that's still a bond you know what i'm saying like just because someone's not giving somebody back rubs you know on a semi-regular basis or and that's a very pg yeah, version right yeah. yeah there you go right that's the pulp fiction thing right he gave her a foot massage and he yeah. gets thrown out the window or something right right you know that like that that kind of thing is no, only one level of connection, actually, you know, but we have yep. made the, we have made the, that that's okay to not, you could do anything you want, but that you can speak about anything. You could talk about anything, who knows, right. Tell each other they love them or whatever. Right. And you're going, so, so this is on one hand, but on the other hand, it's actually quite lovely because it shows a connection that doesn't have to be severed because you're in a, just because you're in a relationship. And I think that, that even though they're in a, you know, they're, they're both probably serial monogamous, him and his partner now. Um, that they've been able to sort of transcend society's limitations on relationship in general by not getting rid of people who have been probably through them, with them, through multiple relationships, through multiple phases of life, and are still providing support and, you know, going in the other room or whatnot. It's just respect. And I feel like for my own life, like, if you have people who you can workshop stuff with, and then you can go and present that better to your partner, male, female, whatever, that person is doing you a favor. That yeah, other yeah. person is doing you a favor. So long as you're not like hiding things, you know, because then that, that creates its own dynamic. But if you're, you know, as I talk with you, as I'm sure as our, you know, various listeners talk with their own friends, hey, my partner's doing this or this is going on in my lifetime or whatever, you can go back and actually have deeper communication with your partner because you've sort of worked through some of the layers, you know? And I just think like, especially as people are in relationship older, as they get older, you know, you've been around for longer than you're going to be with this person. And this person has to understand, hopefully, that you have your own life, too. And so you're yeah, trying yeah. to merge lives together. And when you're merging lives, you're merging your communities together. And your communities, if you're good, 
might be some deep relationships and I don't think you should be able to, I don't think you should have to cut off just because you got a new, a new fit, as they say. Really kind of interesting because it's a funny grind, right? It's kind of like, you can see, like, how did he really feel? And again, I can't totally, you know, again, slightly interpreting through my own mind how he felt, but he was like, yeah, okay, I can't really share this. How do I feel about that in between, you know? On the one hand, he was like, okay, you know, I'm up against something where the culture, there's a grind, you know, where on the one hand, probably a lot of us think this is fine, but on the other hand, there's insecurities and other sure. things and it grinds in this strange way. For so our like, um for our listening honest. for our listening audience, was Eric like, was rubbing <laughs> his two index fingers together. Civilized <laughs> <laughs> grinding, but not <laughs> grinding. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I didn't want people to miss that, Eric. I, I needed to put that in. <laughs> Metaphorical grinding. But That's now, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so a bit like so on the one hand, it's like, okay, you know, he was talking honest. We were in the flow of this honest conversation. He was like, Well, you know, I have this person that I've known, you're right, longer than he's known his partner now. For sure. Right? Even that's a very serious relationship. And it's someone that, you know, there's a deep emotional bond between them. I think at some point. You know, they were physically intimate with one another, but that's long in the past, but the relationship has continued on. And he was like, I don't know if other people would understand this. So I'm going to keep this on the QT. Even though, you know, does it really have to be that way? Interesting, right? So there's some kind of weird grinding of like an old way of thinking and new ways of thinking and things are grinding, which guess I guess gets us to the Esther Perel. And who doesn't hey. want to hear what Esther Perel has to say? Welcome in. <laughs> anyways what i did was i stumbled across this thing where esther perel and i like her too she talks really honest you know and i think it's powerful because she's speaking from uh, a psychotherapeutic point of view and also she's speaking from a feminine voice i mean that has a certain power to it for sure too right mm -hmm. um so anyways she said she says this she basically says this monogamy way of living she says is the new frontier in a way right that thing was invented at some point it didn't always exist it's a concept okay. that people invented and she said you know now it's invented in the way that includes divorce when before it wouldn't right so that's an innovation in the concept right like you wouldn't have had that before and now you can you know what i mean mm -hmm. i had a weird conversation with a friend of mine about this because i've been picking people's brains all over the place about this thing for these episodes and he said something like, well, if you had like polyamory everywhere, what would that do to society? And I said, um, well, you know, dude, there's like less than 1% of the people are going to do that. <laughs> right, right. It's not even in their makeup. Yeah. The, well, who knows? That's a weird question too, but we'll, we'll double back around it, I guess. Right. But, you know, um, to my mind, what struck me, Daniel, about it, and I'm curious what you think about it, would be like, it's the divorce thing is new right? That's mm. the thing that's really new. And that's not a small group of people. That's a huge group of people. Right. And that, like, again, as we've been talking about, that wouldn't have been something that my mom could do or my grandma could do. That would have been impossible. Right. right? No matter how shitty it was, you were going to stay and like gut it out. Right. And so I pointed it back to him, like, why are you talking about this little minor little change in a small group of people? Who cares about that? The big change is divorce and serial monogamy. That's a completely new thing. Yeah. Right. That never would have been possible before. Right. 
And if you're worried about, so he keeps talking about like effects on society and stuff. That's kind of like his vibe. And I was like, well, I mean, that's having an effect on society, you know, and all kinds of ways, probably not in ways that are even simple. You know what I mean? So now you get the good things that people don't have to stay in bad relationships anymore, right? right. Like you get locked in, especially for women, obviously, you'd be completely yeah. trapped because yeah. you wouldn't have the financial resources to go and do your own thing, right? So, you know, it's a major change, but, you know, it's also having a lot of impact and uh, having a lot of impact, not just on the couples and the relationships, but about the kids and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. and, uh, so it's a huge thing, right? It's a huge change. So anyways... I know, it's a kind of a little sidebar point. Do you got anything you want to add about that? No, I mean, we, I was going to, I'm not sure if it's too personal, but like, so in my family, like they should have divorced. Like it was a fucking agony. Sure. But in your family, it was divorce. It was. Yeah. So it was interesting talking with people who, you know, when I got older, you know, and we'd have conversations that you, as you naturally have with friends about what it was like growing up and all that, I would honestly say like, if my parents would have split up, it would have been like, thank God. You know? <laughs> thank god but then i talked to people who came from divorced families and it was very painful for them mm. you know what i mean so i don't know i don't want to put you on the spot or anything but we never really talked about that too deep was that a hard thing for you or what was that like for you well i could say that you only know the path that you have mm -hmm. right so if your parents are together and their relationship is unhealthy then as it was in you know in your case yeah then it was literally physically pain for you, painful for you. Yeah, that <laughs> was like, yeah, physical yeah. violence. And, right, and yeah. emotional and all that, right. So that was painful. Yeah. Now, if people have, I mean, the, the goal or the hope, how about this? Like, the hope would be to have people who ha who decide to have children or have children and are in a healthy relationship and can imprint those positive qualities upon their offspring. That would be the hope, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, that's not the case. Kids don't come with instruction manuals. People are developing, you know, or not developing, depending on in the work they're doing, whatever, in their lives. And so they influence their children in various ways. So we only know what we have, right? But okay, now now into the real world, where there's a whole gamut of relationships, right? The ones that are bad, I think probably to your point, should split for the for the sake of the children. Yeah, you that's know? right. Yeah, not know. stay together for the sake of the children. Should split for the sake of the children. Honestly, God, when my mom talks about it, she was like, she had those exact thoughts. Those were the exact thoughts rolling through her head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We got, I got to gut this out for the sake of these two kids. And maybe my dad thought the same thing. And you know, I'll talk more about my own life later on. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, not done in the things we already talked about, but you know. Yeah. But anyways, you know, so that was those were her exact thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so coming then from the other side where that wasn't my scenario and i only basically know the the two separate worlds you know existing simultaneously or parallel probably better as to say it was not easy it was yeah, not yeah. it was not easy and mm, because you have like some people can co-parent better right and these are people I don't know what kind of people these are, but some people can do it better. People who probably are more aware of themselves, more willing to work on conflict resolution, are more willing to put, you know, the, the children first. And then we also have to remember that, like, the people I know who who successfully co-parent either either are not partnered or are partnered with very flexible and supportive people who are like, yes, you should have a good relationship with your ex. Please do for your kid because they're in 
that seems to be a theme of like serial monogamy. If it's going to be serial monogamy, people are going to have to learn to do what my friend did. You're going to have to learn yeah. to get bitterness. You have to get learn to get over yeah. some of these senses of attachments, learn to accept more impermanence, o- open up in the flexibility of how you, yeah. you know what I mean? You yes. And, yeah. And it's, so I could say from my own perspective that, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to even say it, you know, but I could say it for one part, one party, you know, the, the people that my parents chose in particular, my mom's husband, after my father, after my dad had a lot of bitterness towards his ex yeah, yeah, towards yeah. his baby mama. You know, they had three children together. He had to pay a ton of child support. It was very, you know, there a lot of acrimony, a lot of court children, you know, just a lot of yeah. like, yeah, 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 turbulence. Yeah. And so I feel like because he was unable to quote unquote be victorious in his battle with his ex, he channeled that energy into my mom and her battle with my father. Uh... And therefore, because my mom is not really like that much of like an acrimonious person, she'll fight, but she doesn't want to fight for that long. Like, that's not. She just gets tired. Probably has to be really good, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I'm tired. Whatever. You know, like that's just how, like I always know I could wear her down. That's a funny thing because as my parents' relationship got better, the joke that I like would make about it was they just didn't have the energy to like fully do that anymore. That's right. That level of anger and that level of like constant chaos, they just were exhausted. They weren't. But (laughs) they just couldn't keep it up. But if you have another partner who is stoking your fire, then you can. And so I believe that my, the influence of my stepfather was, or my former stepfather, that influence was a negative influence actually, and continued that. So, so when people get divorced, it's not just, it's not only the action of the breaking of the relationship and now having a two separate households, right. And then having the not having the balance of personalities to sort of mitigate the ups and downs of each individual person, right? Because that's what partners do. They'll help to kind of like, you know, this one's a tough one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You when lose, you have like more than a couple that. people raising the kids, right? You get a variation in personality. Yeah. But then yeah. once they separate, now you got the whole up and down, you know, the whole wave of that other person. Yeah, yeah. You know I'm saying that you probably didn't know before if they, if they got divorced when you were a little bit older, at least in our case. Were you? you- I mean, the people I, some of the people I know who were really hurt was because they were shocked. Like I know one person who was like, just did not see this happening with his parents at all. He did not see it coming. You know, there was no forewarning. He didn't really get the fact that things were, I mean, and again, he's looking from the point of view of a kid. Kids may not pick up on things. Kids you are know? probably not picking up. But on for things. him, he felt like, okay, there was this shattering of this world that seemed semi-idyllic from his point of view, mm. you know? Were you shocked or surprised or it was something like, yeah, you could kind of see that. I mean, I could totally remember the, I can totally remember that day, you know, and I think probably a mistake that my mom would probably admit to was that they didn't have this conversation with us together. Uh, That my mom left and then my dad had, that my dad had a talk with us. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, so that's going to be a really one-sided conversation. That's going to be a, but but it wasn't bad or anything. He just said, your mom left. We're getting a divorce. It's not your fault. And I'm like, what's a divorce? And what's not my fault? You know what I mean? Like, so that these uh, kind of conversations. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh about it. But no, yeah. no, no. But yeah, then, you know, like, years, life, right? years of arbitration and battles over child support, I soon got very familiar with the court system. Very familiar. Um, which yeah. was, that was, that's an... 
I don't know how many people have that experience, but that was my experience from ages like probably seven to 10 in and out of courtrooms with judges and arbiters. And, you know, yeah, it was just not a good situation. You my know? son and I watched the Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson thing, Marriage Story that was on Netflix. Did you watch that at all? I did or? not because I already had one. <laughs> <laughs> I need to like the Daniel Damalekni story. I could just read that from my own diary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, you know? Uh, yeah, so my you know my son at the time what he was probably eight and it was one of the more adult movies he's watched and it's so intense it's like and I think the director I looked back later said he wanted to make it like it was a horror movie like it was like that level of tension you know mm. like some kind of old Hitchcock scary thing and you mm. know my son and I were watching it like it grinds your guts watching it you know <laughs> like oh my god mm -hmm. so I, and again outside of my experience I didn't I didn't go through that right yeah. But so, you know, so having having been through that and having separate, you know, separate lives and whatnot, I could say it probably increased my opportunities. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, because my mom ended up, you know, moving to, moving out of the state and, and, you know, while it left, you know, because we also talked about like women leaving men, women leaving men because they don't have to rely on the men for security that you know, now when this divorce is going to happen, there's probably going to be one person who is going to be on the, the weaker end of the financial power dynamic, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And so then you have this juxtaposition of very, you know, who do you go with and, you know, where are you at in terms of their, you know, and they're supposed to, people are supposed to pay child support and whatnot, but we know that that's, that's a crapshoot and how do you, you know, like it doesn't always get worked yeah, out yeah, yeah, evenly. Yeah. So there's also the financial aspects to it, but you know, for somebody who like myself, like yourself, and probably like most of our listeners, because we do know probably a you know a good handful of them, uh, we do work. We work on ourselves. We have reflection. We have you know some amount of self awareness, and we take we've taken our life as our guru, you know, as our teacher. Yeah. And so we look at it, and we're like, all right, I was given a uh, a bucket of uh, I don't know stale raisins. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so, like, okay, now based upon that, what am I going to do with that moving forward? Like, how how am I going to make the best out of this situation? And I feel like because I don't talk about this actually never really. Yeah, because... we never. Like, I mean, I didn't mean to dump it on you on Mike. I actually meant to ask you about it before we started this podcast, but I forgot. That's okay. <laughs> because but anyways, we you you really don't. It's not a subject matter that you go back and you revisit very much. No, because unfortunately, unfortunately, one of the negatives about society is that like they they don't get they always say, oh, children of divorced families, whatever, you know, go cry me a river. A lot of kids are divorced. A lot of kids' parents are divorced. They're fine. Do you know what I'm saying? And so yeah, you yeah. really can't. That's not a thing you can can be like, well, I have this thing. And not that it's an excuse for any behavior. I'm just saying like it is a contributing factor. There's no doubt about it. It does change people's lives. But again, taking the life as one's guru, as one's experience, as a doorway to understanding and learning Dharma, then I have to say this was my experience in this lifetime, that I had some responsibility in choosing, and I have to learn from it in some way, shape, or form. And I could say that my opportunities that I chose to take after my parents were lived separate lives uh, really have influenced me in a greatly, um, in a very deep way, actually, you yeah. know, in a, in a very deep way. And I just, and I, I just juxtapose the friends that I grew up with that lived in the area where my father were. And then that into the places where I went 
you know, that I was able to be introduced to when I moved to California to go live with my mother. And I could say that if I was part of those people, I know where I would be right now. And I do not want to be there. So the people that you knew from when your dad or the ones that you knew in California? In, in here, in, in, around in the Chicagoland area. Okay, you know? so the California people was a more positive group of people that you got introduced to. Well, I could say that it broke my, it, it broke the, the, the sort of like relative chains that I, that I thought that I, or that I had on me that I didn't think were, that I thought that were just permanent barriers. This is your neighborhood. These are your friends. These are your opportunities. This is what life is. And when right. I left, that was all, it was all broken, you know, gotcha. and now I was introduced to all different kinds of people and parents who did very different things and more affluent people, you know, more affluent parents is more affluent area. Not that money was the main motivator, but it just, it, it, it give, it gave me another vision of like, oh, there's a whole entire way of doing things differently that I was completely unaware of. And so it wasn't necessarily the people, you know, and the people that I grew up with are good people. You know what I mean? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with them. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're nice people and, you know, whatever. I mean, some of them are nice. Some of them are naughty, you know, just like everybody. That's normal the way it is. Yeah, exactly. To enforce those things. But it was the, like I said, it was the, it was the transcendence from what I believed. And I don't know what they believe. I only know what I believe. It was the transcendence from what I believed was the limitations for my own life to do something different, you know, and, and to, to try different things and be exposed to different traditions and philosophies and ideas and practices and different parts of the world and different foods and, you know, different people. And I think all of that flavored my experience in such a way that I was willing to say yes to far more things than I would have if I would have remained in the place that I would have been. And I would have remained in the place that I would have been had my parents stayed together. So in the short run, a lot of turmoil, a lot of, uh, you know, disharmony, if you will. But in the long run, I could look at it and be like, well, damn, that helped to open my mind. Yeah, when I think about it clinically, I always have this feeling like all's well that ends well or something, right? As long yes. as people get to a place where in the end they can feel comfortable with the story of where they came from and they feel good about themselves in the now, you can always go back and think, okay, I can see how that connected back in ways that maybe seemed difficult at the time but in the long run ended up having like consequences that were good or something. As long as you can find yourself to that place that you feel good about your story. Yeah. Right? Yes. As long as you can find yourself to that place where you feel good about your story, which I guess we were talking about a couple of weeks ago when, you know, before my retreat, when we were doing the episode, which is that whole research about if you write your story, you know, in that psych study we talked about, if you write your story in a way that you feel comfortable about it, it's very healing. Right. And you can yes. respectively rewrite the story in a way yes. that you realize Oh, okay. That was actually hard at the time, but I could see how it produced good fruits. Okay, cool. You know, I can move on now with this thing. I've had this conversation a lot, again, like, because we're talking about psychologists a lot on and off here too. I feel like that's something really important from the psychological point of view. If you get stuck kind of digging around in your past, the negative shit of your past, that can go on forever, right? Yeah. There can be no bottom to it or something. So you keep digging around and digging around and digging around. And maybe you feel like, okay, I'll find this reason why my shit's fucked up now. And that reason why my shit's fucked up now. But I don't know. I don't think that's how it works in the end. I think it has to be something where you get to the place where you're like, okay, I'm happy with what this is now. Like what Reich was talking about in their episodes about Reich. Let's deal with the now. Yeah. You can get you to a good place now when those things from the past, because you don't, like what you were saying, you don't feel like they're chains. Correct. So if I don't feel like they're chains anymore, well, they're not chains for me. 
you know, if I don't feel their chains, they're no longer chains. They're, they're no chains. longer chains. Their jewelry. Their chains are gone. Their jewelry. <laughs> Big fat ropes. Man, what you know about these ropes? <laughs> chain, I mean. Yeah, I, I put a charm on it. Now it's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, I think that's that's interesting. You know, mm -hmm. and even like you know now. You know, in my whole thing, I like I kind of refuse to rewrite the story to not acknowledge the fact that negative stuff happened, even with my mom or something. I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. You're not. You're not That's rewriting it for that sake. But when I talk with my mom now, you know, it's all water under the bridge. And I'm like, you know, we have very nice, pleasant conversations about the past, you know, and uh, she did a lot of wonderful things. Well, as well as, as well as the things that are difficult. And I can go back and look at this and, you know, but it's because I feel good now. Mm -hmm. that may be part of the thing and the moral of this too if you can get to the place where you feel good now and maybe that's what you know we're, we're ending the episode because you got to bounce but yeah you know uh that's what happened with this guy he kind of figured out a way of writing his story following it through in a way that feels optimistic open forgiving tolerant you know and he became that person right mm -hmm. doing that so anyways, I think that's the, that's going to be the moral. I guess for next week, we'll get to start with Esther Perel. <laughs> People love Esther Perel because mm -hmm. we didn't finish the Esther Perel shit. She okay. has a lot of other interesting things to say about this subject. Well, so next week for more Esther Perel. <laughs> yes. All right, cool. You got to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got to get hopping. Um, yep. Well, you know, now that we got the wound open, we're going to go back to our day. <laughs> No, it's all good. No, you're totally healthy, man. Oh, yeah. No, I appreciate Listen, I, I don't even know the last time I discussed. I don't even know if I've ever really discussed this as an adult. You know what I mean? Oh. Like, people don't ask. I wondered about it, but like, it's weird to ask it in the middle of this podcast conversation. Sorry. <laughs> Hopefully. I literally made a mental note. Hey, bring up to Daniel that you might bring this up. And then, like, we talked about a whole bunch of other stuff, and then I didn't remember to do it. No, that's all right. You know, look, man. Like, you like spontaneity in these things, anyway. I do. Yeah, no, it's it's good. It's totally good. And and I mean, I think to be able to put it to words, right, means that there has been processing. Well, based on that psych study, your next year you should have next you have should have less colds and flus. Oh, good, 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 <laughs> perfect. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I, you know, means means it to me that there's processing, which is why I I I too encourage like. When I have more like, quote unquote, coaching clients, if you will, we talk about coaching, yeah, yeah. you know, people who I do a little bit longer term work with, uh, I have all of them write their story down. All of, it's, a, it's, it's a, fascinating it's a, because that's actually the thing we were talking about a few weeks ago, write your story and process it through. And it has this curative effect. Even yeah, absolutely. This, right. That was the, absolutely. And, and it has that, that exact effect of like, you can see your story and sort of get a little distance from it. Like you can hold it in your hand away from your body for a moment, you know, and look at it and start to be like, okay, this is my teacher. There's my, my teacher is existing inside of this paper, inside of this booklet. Like what yeah. do I want to learn from my teacher? Yeah. Daniel's referencing back to the Tibetan Buddhist world where they make this point really strong. You can learn from a person, you can learn from a book, you can learn from your own spirit, but you can learn from your life experiences, right? Mm -hmm. You're one of your most powerful teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And not always so nice either. Sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a strict teacher. True. Yes. Old Pink Floyd song teacher, but you learn, right? But you do learn. Yeah, absolutely. You do learn. You actually have no choice. That's you have you no choice. That. You can fire these other teachers. You can throw away a book. You can like, you know, whatever. I guess you can turn your back on your own spirit. Yikes. But it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to turn your back on what's actually happening in your life. That's true.
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for sharing, Daniel. No, as always, no, thanks. Thanks for listening, yeah. for holding space. You know, I appreciate it. Um, you know, hopefully my story was uh, entertaining, if not insightful for other people to, to, yeah, you know, yeah. work through theirs. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't pat myself on the back, but as it was happening, I had to learn to forgive instantaneously, you know, people at that time, you know, parental figures. They have deep connections with you have deep love with, right? Yeah. And I had yeah. to learn, I learned to forgive instantaneously because if not, then, then you, it's very, very easy to hold on. Yeah. Very easy to hold on. And that doesn't help it does, because that shit sandwich only gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point, the story will keep writing itself. It'll keep writing in that negative way. Exactly. This was the fault of that. This next thing was the fault of that. This next thing was the fault of that. Exactly. That was the fault of the other one. That was the fault of this one. It could go on forever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You so, know. you know, like they say, trauma is not what happens to you, but the story that you tell after it and how it lives within yeah. you, you know? Yeah. And so I, you know, even though I know I've been influenced by it, we've been influenced by everything. So let me at least be positively influenced by things that have occurred to me and turn them into something that's useful for me. And, uh, you know, as always, we talk about our intention. Uh, that's part of the point. That's part of the point of why we have these conversations. So, you know, that's right, it. Thanks for sharing, man. No, it's always, as always, no problem. And thank you for holding space. Um, and our, thank you, our, our audience, for listening, for holding space. I know I'm not doing this live with everybody who's listening, but um, the second half of this episode is totally a story about daniel's childhood so um hopefully you found it entertaining and yeah. um if you did or you did not if you did or you did not you can feel free to complain about it <laughs> at gin and tantra at gmail.com or you can leave a, a comment in the youtube video uh that's fine a thumbs up if you like it thumbs down if it's if it's dumb you know that's fine too uh you can hit us up on uh instagram at gin and tantra um or if you know us you could send us a message text message that works too or if you see us in the street, wave hello. Uh, anyways, for Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace. I want you to get together. I want you to get together. Put your hands together one time. I want you to get together. you to get together.